This is Front Page. We here at Front Page, we do our best to dig out the truth and bring it to you. Hello, all you freedom-loving people. Welcome to Front Page Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Cameron Goulet. The Israeli Ministry of Defense and the Israel Defense Forces, the IDF, have issued an urgent warning to the United Nations to evacuate its staff and to move to the southern Gaza Strip within the next 24 hours. The U.S. has also announced that it will begin evacuating U.S. citizens from Israel today. However, the evacuations efforts made by the private sector are much faster than the actions taken by the government. So, who are the countries behind Hamas's terrorist attacks that have been described as Israel's 9-11? Iran and Russia are obvious supporters, but there is another hidden backer, the CCP. The White House announced that it has taken actions to urgently freeze $6 billion of humanitarian funds that were to be released to Iran. Within the U.S., the UAW strikes are escalating. Automakers say that they've given as far as they can, but the union still isn't satisfied. The election of the Speaker of the House of Representatives is in a state of flux again. Steve Scalise, who just won the Republican nomination, has withdrawn his candidacy, so it's back to square one. So, who leaked President Trump's tax information? The name of the person is not familiar to the public, but he has pleaded guilty and he is awaiting sentencing. Okay, let's get into it. The State Department said in a statement on Thursday that it would begin withdrawing from Israel today with an expected withdrawal of several thousand people per week. State Department spokesman Matthew Miller said in a statement that beginning on Friday, October 13th, the U.S. government will arrange chartered flights to help U.S. citizens and their immediate families who are unable to book commercial transportation and find a safe way out of Israel. The statement also said that senior U.S. State Department officials are actively working with airlines and international partners on how best to provide more options for U.S. citizens who are seeking to leave Israel. According to the White House, 27 Americans were confirmed to have been killed in the Hamas invasion of Israel and 14 Americans are still unaccounted for. And before the official State Department action began, Army veteran Representative Corey Mills of Florida had already begun to help stranded U.S. citizens in a personal way. Representative Myra Flores shared a picture on X showing Mills with a group of Americans that he helped to escape from Israel by bus. In an interview on Wednesday, Mills said that he had already helped 32 Americans to escape the country. Mills further said, Since the Biden men has failed to do their job once again, I've stepped in to rescue Americans stranded in war-torn Israel. This was not the first time that Mills embarked on such a trip. He also helped to evacuate American families and Afghan refugees in Afghanistan following the chaotic U.S. troop withdrawal in August of 2021. Mills' trip to Israel came after a bipartisan group of 146 Congress members recently called on U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken to use all available resources to evacuate Americans who are seeking to leave Israel. When Mills was asked how many American citizens he believes currently remain in Israel, he said that there was a high possibility that there are large swaths of Americans across the entire country. Mills also claimed that he's concerned that the current evacuation efforts could become a repeat of the chaotic Afghan withdrawal. Hamas 
has only 10,000 militia members, which is a far cry from Israel's strength. So why did they launch a suicidal attack on Israel? It is widely believed this is an attempt to undermine the U.S.-led process of normalizing relations between Israel and Saudi Arabia. On September 20th, Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman revealed in an interview that the Saudi-Israeli talks are getting closer every day to reaching an agreement. Given the influence of Saudi Arabia in the Islamic world, once the Saudis and Israelis establish diplomatic relations, it will lead to a large number of Islamic countries establishing diplomatic relations with Israel. And then the Palestinian issue will be further marginalized. This is why Hamas took the risk. However, the scale of this Hamas attack was far greater than the previous four attacks. This attack has been called Israel's Pearl Harbor. It resulted in Israel's worst defeat in decades. Not only was the attack well planned, but it was backed by powerful supporters. And Hamas is not subtle about this fact. In an interview with the BBC, Hamas spokesperson Ghazi Hamad claimed that Hamas was proud that its surprise attack on Israel was supported by Iran. And he said that Hamas was supported by other countries, but he did not want to give details. It is generally accepted that the other countries likely to support Hamas are obviously Russia and the Chinese Communist Party. Russia openly supported Hamas during the urgent closed-door consultation of the UN Security Council on October 8th. As a result of Russia's obstruction, the Security Council did not issue a joint statement, let alone a binding resolution. But Russia is already mired in the Russia-Ukraine war. Palestine has to rely on support from Iran and North Korea. Russia's support for Hamas may remain only verbal and may not be followed by any concrete action. It's actually the Chinese Communist Party that has the ability and willingness to support Hamas. The attitude of the CCP can be seen in its stance on this incident. At a press conference that was held by the Foreign Ministry on October 9th, foreign journalists asked at least 14 questions that were directly related to the attack by Hamas. However, the CCP spokesperson avoided mentioning the name Hamas, let alone condemning Hamas. The CCP's rhetoric was, to protect civilians and prevent further deterioration of the situation. And the CCP said that we hope that a ceasefire can be put in place as soon as possible so that peace can be restored. In the face of terrorist attacks and brutal killings of civilians and even babies, the Chinese Communist Party has gone so far as to ask Israel to stop its counterattacks. On the surface, this is an appeal for peace, but in fact, it is an encouragement of Hamas aggression. On Friday, a staff member of the Israeli embassy in Beijing was attacked and hospitalized. Although no one immediately claimed responsibility for the attack, it's clearly related to the Chinese Communist Party's longtime media campaign in favor of so-called justice for the Palestinians. Israel's foreign ministry issued a statement saying that in a call with the Chinese Communist Party special envoy for the Middle East, Israel expressed deep disappointment that the Chinese Communist Party had not condemned the Hamas attacks. So why does the CCP support Hamas? Some analysts say that this round of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict has brought about a major strategic benefit for the CCP, namely a major blow to the U.S. proposed India, Middle East, Europe, 
Economic Corridor program. If the program is realized, it will pose a major challenge to the Chinese Communist Party's One Belt, One Road project. Economic benefits may be a reason for the CCP's support of Hamas, but they are not the most fundamental reason for the CCP's support. The CCP has a long history of support for Palestine going back decades. This is covered in more detail on our membership site. The New York Post made a precise statement. They said, so why did China throw in its lot with Hamas? It may be as simple as this. When given a choice, Beijing can't help but side with evil. U.S. officials said on Thursday that the U.S. and Qatar have reached an agreement to freeze indefinitely $6 billion in funds that were originally planned for Iran. The freeze will last until the end of the Israeli-Hamas conflict. John Kirby, the strategic communications coordinator for the White House's National Security Council, told reporters on Thursday that as a part of the prisoner swap agreement that freed the five Americans, the U.S. transferred $6 billion of its previously frozen U.S. dollars from South Korea to a bank in Qatar. But the funds have not yet been handed over to Iran. The funds remain in Qatar. Shortly before Kirby's comments, several news outlets reported that Deputy Treasury Secretary Wally Adeyemo told House Democrats that Iran would no longer receive the funds. Adeyemo met with House Democrats and told lawmakers that the U.S. had reached a quiet agreement with Qatar to not transfer the $6 billion during the Hamas attacks on Israel. Biden's $6 billion prisoner swap has drawn criticism from Republicans and the prisoner swap tactic has been questioned by some foreign policy experts who say that the deal was a mistake from the start. Meanwhile, lawmakers in both the House and the Senate have introduced bills to freeze the $6 billion funding to Iran. A Ford Motor Company executive said on Thursday that the company has reached its limit on the financial concessions that it can make to the UAW in the negotiations for a new contract while the UAW extends its strike. On Wednesday, 8,700 workers at Ford's largest plant in the world walked off the job, causing a plant-wide shutdown. It was the largest wave of actions since the mid-September UAW protests began against the three major automakers, Ford, General Motors, and Stellantis. The plant, located in Louisville, Kentucky, has annual revenues of $25 billion that accounts for about one-sixth of Ford's global automotive revenue. It mainly produces the high-priced F-Series Super Duty pickup truck as well as large SUVs such as the Lincoln Navigator and the Ford Expedition. UAW President Sean Fain noted that because Ford management refused to move forward with contract negotiations, the union was forced to take further action to shut down the extremely profitable plant in order to help them understand what to do. In a subsequent statement, Ford criticized the UAW's decision this time around which was made without prior notice. They called the decision highly irresponsible behavior. Not only does it directly affect thousands of employees at the plant, but it also jeopardizes the operation of Ford's other plants and many other suppliers, which together employ well over 100,000 people. But given that the union had previously declared that it would take the damage to reputation and industrial chaos strategy so that the Detroit three automakers would get the bitter taste, 
and Ford should not be too surprised by this behavior. Kumar Galatra, the president of Ford's legacy business, said on Thursday that while the company is willing to adjust funding within its current offer to meet the union's priorities, any additional cost would jeopardize the automaker's ability to operate in the future and to invest in emerging areas such as electric vehicles. Galatra said, We have reached our limit. We've actually stretched ourselves to get to this point. We're open to moving some money around within the deal that might fit the union's needs better, but broadly speaking, from an overall cost of the deal perspective, yes, we're there. Galatra told reporters that the automaker can improve the offer without becoming uncompetitive, but he declined to say how much the company's current offer to the union would cost the company. The election for Speaker of the House of Representatives is still a toss-up. Steve Scalise, who had just won the Republican nomination for Speaker of the House the day before, announced on Thursday that he was withdrawing from the Speaker's race. Although he beat Judiciary Committee Chairman Jim Jordan for the nomination on Wednesday by a slim margin of 113 to 99, it is clear that he will have a hard time getting the 217 votes that he needs in the House. Jordan voiced his support for Scalise, but many of Jordan's supporters did not follow him. Within 24 hours, a growing number of Republicans announced that they would not vote for Scalise. With Democrats unanimously nominating Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries for Speaker, Republicans are left with only a handful of votes to lose. Scalise tried to win over holdouts at a closed-door meeting with members of the Republican conference on Thursday, but there are lingering concerns for those who oppose him. Those concerns center around his health as he battles a form of cancer. Other concerns include his leadership experience during a period of rapid growth in the national debt. So Scalise made his intentions clear to his fellow Republicans. He then announced the decision to the press. Let me, um, I know we've been following this. It's been quite a journey uh, and there's still a long way to go. Uh, I just share with my colleagues that I'm withdrawing my name as a candidate for the Speaker-designee. He thinks that the Republican Party has not yet reached a state of unity. Uh, our conference still has to come together and is not there. Uh, there are still some people that have their own agendas. And I was very clear, we have to have everybody put their agendas on the side and focus on what this country needs. This country is counting on us to come back together. This House of Representatives needs a speaker and we need to open up the House again. But clearly, not everybody is there. And there's still schisms that have to get resolved. He emphasized that he's not here to fight for a title. I never came here for a title. I've had some great titles. I'm the majority leader of the House and I love the job I have. I've had big challenges in my life. I've been tested in ways that really put perspective on life, really the 2017 shooting, when I didn't know if I was going to make it out alive, uh, taught me what's important in life. And that's my family, my faith, and I'm blessed beyond belief. Uh, I have absolutely uh, all the right perspective, and I still have a deep, deep passion for making sure we get our country back on track and get our conference fixed again. Some Republicans praised Scalise's decision, saying that it was classy and selfless. 
The next best candidate would be Representative Jim Jordan. Representative Ralph Norman has confidence that Jordan can get the 217 votes that are needed to become the Speaker. He said the country loves Jim Jordan. He is a great spokesman. Last month, federal prosecutors charged a former contractor who worked for the IRS from 2018 to 2020 with illegally obtaining and disseminating to the media the tax details of a high-ranking public official and numerous wealthy Americans. According to court documents and an official press release from the Department of Justice, Charles Littlejohn of Washington, D.C. stole tax return information that was associated with a high-ranking government official. He then disclosed this information to a news organization. A source familiar with the matter informed CNN that the unnamed official who was mentioned in the legal documents is President Trump. According to reports, Little John didn't just steal President Trump's tax information, he also stole the tax information of thousands of wealthy individuals as well. The stolen information was then disseminated to two news organizations. Little John pleaded guilty to leaking President Trump's tax returns. The DOJ said in a press release, an IRS contractor, Charles Littlejohn, who is 38 of Washington, D.C., pleaded guilty today to disclosing tax return information without authorization. Okay, this is our podcast for today. Thank you again for listening to Front Page Podcast. For more exclusive in-depth content, please go to frontpageshow.com.